It all started with a dream. This is so stupid! <laughs> In my whole life for this. <laughs> I got some things to say. I'm still slowly dying, but uh. hey, we all are. <laughs> Good morning, Back Row Radio. I'm Matt, and you're streaming the morning side hug. Completely loving, socially awkward, and decidedly Christian. We are a Back Row Morning Show exclusively on BackRowRadio.com. And on today's show, we got a bit of a special episode for you. It's it's a more inspirational, more recovery-focused show. Now, uh, for those of you who've been listening to the station as a whole for a while, then you'll know that we had a new show start off at the beginning of the year called Celebrating Recovery. And originally the idea of the show was that it was going to be a 15-20 minute show that aired on Wednesday, uh, Thursdays and Wednesdays, kind of jumbled around. Uh, that really dived in deeper into a topic uh, on recovery-focused aspects in the Christian walk. Uh, however, as tends to be the case with me, I, I overshot the the ability I would have to dedicate time to actually doing this. I had a few things that I had already pre-written that I'd be able to record and pre-record, but when it comes to actually sitting down and researching and putting together a full show like that, I just, on top of doing the morning side hug and all the other projects and running the radio station, just don't have the time, just flat out don't have the time to keep that going on a weekly basis. So I have retooled that into a uh, you know two three minute weekly uh, quick devotional bite that we air on Mondays and Wednesdays during the morning show, uh, but that means that we're kind of retooling the whole thing in general, including the podcast. So we're going to be cutting the podcast, the old episodes from the podcast. We've already started doing that, but because they were good content, we don't want to lose them forever. So we're bringing them over into two special episodes of. The Morning Side Hug, where we're going to share uh, three of these in each of those shows. The first one will be today. The next one will be sometime next month. Um, So you're about to hear uh, three different topics on recovery from different aspects. But even if you're not in recovery, you'll find these inspirational, I am sure. Uh, So let's dive right into the first one. forever family. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who has struggled with pornography and depression, but currently struggles with food addiction and codependency. My name is Matt. Today, I would like to talk to you about denial. There is a terrible old pun that has been around for a thousand years that anybody who's been in recovery or maybe even not has heard a thousand times, and that is, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. I absolutely hate this pun. I hate that I hear it 
at least once a month. I hate that every time someone delivers it, they do so with all the confidence of Jerry freaking Seinfeld. It's it's not funny. It's never been funny. Oh, but denial is a real thing. And the the message of that joke is true. Denial is common, and it's something that we don't often see in ourselves. Denial is defined as a failure to acknowledge an unacceptable truth or emotion or to admit it into consciousness. Uh, it's used as a defense mechanism. Essentially, it's, it's saying that you don't have a problem when you clearly do. Let me give you a couple examples from my own life. I've told you that I've struggled with a pornography addiction and food addiction. Those have been my two main addictions. And when I'm talking about a pornography addiction, like I'll get into my whole testimony in a future episode, but when I talk about a pornography addiction, I'm not just talking about using pornography uh, for self-gratification randomly. I mean, a lot of men and women do this uh, on a regular basis, and it doesn't mean that they're addicted. Uh, for me, it was something a little bit more. It was, uh, it was actually a chemical dependency. Because when you look at this kind of stuff, it, it floods your brain with a chemical called dopamine. Uh, it's, it's a chemical that your own body produces, but this helps it produce more. And it works very similar to the way nicotine works. When, when you smoke cigarettes, you start flooding your brain with nicotine. And your brain doesn't really need a lot of nicotine. But it once it's flooded with it, it has to process it somehow. So it grows. It actually grows new nicotine receptors to process that chemical. And that's why when you start to, to try and quit smoking, when you start to starve yourself of that nicotine, those receptors in your brain start to die off. And your dumb brain starts interpreting that as you are dying. Like, it's in pain. It's hurting. I need that nicotine. And that's why you have those, those dramatic cravings, those dramatic withdrawals. And, of course, that gets even worse with, with, drug, with drug withdrawals. Can't say those words together. Drug withdrawals. Uh, but it works the same with dopamine. When you've flooded your brain with dopamine, your brain is going to make this connection to what you're doing uh, to make that happen, and when you try to stop, it gonna, it's going to start freaking out, and that's exactly what would happen to me, but I refused to realize that that's what was going on for the longest time. See, my pornography addiction started before I even hit puberty. Like This, is, this was how I grew up uh, into a, a, a man, you know, quote-unquote, and it had always been a part of my sexual identity, which was terrible uh, and, and definitely not a beneficial thing. But I remember that dealing with this through junior high and high school, I had met my now wife uh, at the tail end of junior high. And, uh, and eventually we had planned to get married pretty much as soon as she graduated. She was one year behind me. As soon as she graduated, we were going to get married, which is what we did. But leading up to that, once we had kind of made that conclusion, I had it in my head, all right, well, once we get married, this isn't going to be a problem anymore. I'm not going to have to deal with this. We had made this commitment to remain virgins until we were married, and we had kept that commitment. And so I thought, yeah, 
a whole new world is going to be open to me once we're married. So I'm not going to need pornography at all. I'm not going to need to deal with that. And that was denial. Because honestly, those two things are completely different things. With intimacy within a marriage, there's so much more wrapped up into it. There's emotions. There's, I mean, there's another person whose feelings and, and, and thoughts and, and care you have to consider. Pornography is a purely selfish act. And it comes from a different place in your brain, different place in your heart. And so I found myself in marriage still dealing with this and I let it spiral out of control to the point where I nearly lost everything that I held dear to me I mean it got me in trouble at work it got me in trouble in my marriage my other addiction was a food addiction now I've been overweight pretty much as long as I can remember from a child but one thing that has always happened is that I will go to the doctor, I will get a, a, a physical, an exam, uh, they'll check my blood pressure, my cholesterol, all that stuff, my glucose. And what has always happened up until recently is, well, you're overweight, but you're in perfect health other, other than that. And so I let that go in my mind as denial, as in I don't have a real problem. There's no problem here. So I'm overweight, big deal. I'm healthy. That's what I would tell myself. Until these last couple of years, where I just started almost forcing myself to be in denial because I knew something was changing. I knew something was wrong. And I did not want to go to the doctor. And finally, it got to the point where I had to for our health insurance. And I just knew what was going to come. I knew I was going to be told that I had type 2 diabetes. And that's what happened. And finally, when the doctor said that, that was enough to snap me out of my denial and get to work and get to doing something about it. But denial is almost a preferable state because when we think beyond that, we're looking into the unknown. Stepping out of our denial means we're stepping into unknown territory, and that can be terrifying. Even if we're miserable where we are, at least we know what to expect from it. So there's a kind of comfort in that. And those two situations are just my story. Just a few of the possible situations. If you've ever said something like, I don't have a problem with this, I can stop at any time I want. Or I only do this to get through the day. Or maybe if you didn't do that, I wouldn't do this. Well, then you, my friend, are in denial. And there's not much we could say or do to convince you of this. You've heard this many times before. You can't make someone get better. They have to hit rock bottom on their own or come to their senses before they hit rock bottom. But whatever the case, you are the only person who can step out of denial. God will likely help you get there, thank goodness as he did me. It took some rough spots for me to realize that I've been living in denial. And denial can be sneaky. You, you likely really don't know you're struggling with it, at least for a time. But we've got to get to a place where we realize that making a life change is the only option. 
It's not about knowing all the answers or what is coming next or how difficult the change will be. At this point, it's just accepting the fact that something is messed up. You're addicted, you're hurt, you're hung up, you're codependent, you're lost, you're depressed, you're alone. Something or maybe many of these things are wrong. But admitting this is the first step to healing. Matthew 5.3 says, Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. Hebrews 12.1 says, Since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, and especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. This tells us two things. One, God does indeed have a plan for us. And two, we have to be willing to accept it by stripping off the things that are keeping us from being the men and women God wants us to be. If that's you today, if you think that that I'm talking about you, I am. Like I said, the only ways people come out of denial is if they hit rock bottom or if they come to their senses. If you are starting to come to your senses right now, if you know you have a problem that you have no ability to overcome on your own, it's time to do something about it. Don't live in denial one second longer than you have to. All it does is extend your pain, separate you from God and the people that care about you, and keep you stuck where you are. Remember, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. Ugh, I hate myself. going to take a break right there we're going to be back at the top of the next hour coming up next we're going to ask the question what do we do when our biggest sin has come after our salvation it's a tricky topic that i'm sure a lot of you have wondered about we're going to dive into it top of the next hour right here on back row radio in the morning side hub Welcome back to the Morning Side Hug. Glad to have you with us this morning here on BackRowRadio.com. I'm Matt, and we are revisiting some episodes of the original version of Celebrating Recovery. So today, uh, all of our segments are going to kind of be a little bit more inspirational focused, a little less focused on humor. Uh, But even if you aren't in recovery per se, you're going to find these inspirational. And this next one is going to be a question, a hard question that a lot of us have asked. What do we do? When our biggest sin has come after our salvation. Uh, It's part of my personal testimony, and I'm sure it's part of a lot of yours. And some of you might be struggling with that right now. So let's dive in and see what the answer could be.
forever family. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who has struggled with pornography and depression, but currently struggles with food addiction and codependency. My name is Matt. Today I'm going to be answering a question that's been submitted to us previously. Uh, and it's a question that I actually had to struggle with too at one point in my life. And I'll share bits and pieces of my testimony and my answer. Uh, here's the question. What if I've sinned after I've been saved? For the last several months, I've been unable to escape the feeling that I'm going to hell for fornication and pornography. I just feel like I've sinned too much, like I'm unforgivable now because I sinned after I was saved. It's impossible to escape the guilt. I really need help. Now, of course, we all sin after we're saved. We know that just because we... We come to Christ does not mean that we stop sinning. But what this person is asking is, is what, if, what if I've messed up royally? What if I've had my, my biggest sins after I came to Christ, after I clearly knew better? This is a question pretty much all of us ask ourselves at one point. Do you want to know why? Because we all still find ourselves sinners. Christians are supposed to be perfect. Christians don't screw up. You're screwed up first, then you become a Christian, and then you are perfect. There are hundreds of books about how to become a Christian despite your failures. Our churches tend to uphold the Christian label as the best, the top, the penultimate. A typical Christian book believes you to have grown up rejecting God or maybe embracing the idea and being turned off by a hypocritical friend or church. Christians who condemned your sinful actions while doing something sinful themselves. And then one day you found yourself in a fine mess. You drank, you eventually became dependent. You tried a drug, eventually became addicted. You got a credit card, eventually found yourself in tremendous debt. You got married, eventually things went wrong and now you're alone. You looked at pornography, eventually you hired a prostitute. You developed a self-image problem. Eventually, depression led you to suicidal thoughts. And then you find Jesus, and all that stuff is supposed to magically go away. And everyone lives happily ever after. That's the plan. You're not supposed to deviate from the plan. But that is not my story. My story is not the neat and pretty one. My story, like many of yours, is ugly. But that's good news, because God likes ugly. God can use ugly. God can take ugly and make something beautiful. If you're already beautiful, what do you need God for? I dabbled in church for a long time before I came to Christ. I was always fascinated by it. I always grew up. Uh, well, I grew up going to a Catholic private school because my mother had heard that the normal elementary schools were overrun with gang violence and was afraid I'd get shivved on the monkey bars. I have no complaints about it, though, because I love that school. I might not have enjoyed going to mass every single morning, but other than that, it was great. Then my family moved to a new town, and I joined a Southern Baptist church, the church that I'm still a member of, which was basically the opposite end of the Christian spectrum. I attended here for for several years, pretending to already be a Christian, but knowing that in my heart I wasn't. 
I had some issues growing up, like all teenagers do. I had a self-image problem. I started hating myself. My family was on rocky ground. My mother got cancer. My dad lived in another town at one point because that's where he found work. And we'd recently moved, so I didn't have any friends at school. Depression runs in my family, and it kicked in hard when I was really young. There's a moment of time that has burned into my brain where I, as a 13-year-old, was convinced that death would be better than living one more miserable day. I convinced myself that happiness would never return to my life. I convinced myself I was better off dead. Not having any real clue what I was doing, I was holding my pocket knife in the air over my chest as I lay in my bed, and I was grimacing my face, trying to get up the nerve to plunge it into my heart. When the phone rang, and it scared the junk out of me, and it caused me to drop the knife. It was my best friend from my hometown calling at just the right moment just to chat. And I never picked up that knife again. That's my big God story. That was the moment I was convinced that God was real and that he wanted me alive. Isn't that a great testimony? I mean, if only I could just end the story there. Sure, it's a short one with the climax coming in at just my 13th year on earth, but... Some people got saved when they were seven. My story has six years on those people. Truth is, though, I didn't ask Christ into my heart that day, and even then, it was long after I got saved when my testimony really took off. There is a misconception that a testimony is about how you were lost, you were a horrible person, and then you came to Jesus. And that is not necessarily true. A testimony is not about what you've done. A testimony is about what God has done in spite of you. We are all imperfect beings, but we don't always seem to act like it, or at least we don't seem to let others act like it. The lie we as Christians tell society, or maybe the lie that we let them believe, is that once you become a Christian, Life is all Jesus and puppies. No more drama, no more trauma, but that is false. Truth is, for many people who accept Christ into their hearts, very little changes in their lives right away. You see, accepting Christ, fully believing that he existed, that he was the Son of God, that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, and that he rose again on the third day, defeating death and granting us redemption, it's essential, but it's only the beginning. Salvation is the key to heaven, and thus it is the most important part for the individual, yes. But something changes after that. A lot changes after that, in fact. That's the moment when radical change begins, and you are supposed to start learning a new way to live, but unfortunately, in many churches, you become less of a priority. You're saved, now on to the next one. People who are already Christians seem to expect a new believer to fend for themselves, to be fully schooled in the Christian ways. It's, it's like inviting someone into your home for the first time and expecting him to know exactly where you store the extra batteries. We drop the ball. We let newborn Christians out into the cruel world with no preparation, no education, no way to survive. And days turn into years where a new Christian remains stagnant. And when one fails in life, sins, and gets caught, we rush to sweep them under the rug or disown them because we don't want to look hypocritical, which ironically makes us hypocrites. 
And so Christians are scared to admit when they have a problem for fear of being ostracized. And in that way, Christians and unbelievers are exactly the same. Christians struggle just as much as non-Christians with temptation and sin. I have a friend who accepted Christ into his heart when he was nine years old. He grew up in church, had a bunch of Bible verses memorized, decided at 14 that he was going to wait until he was married to have sex, the whole thing. Then he graduated and he went to college, and in college his whole world changed. Suddenly he was experiencing a freedom that he never knew before. There were no parents living with him expecting him to be in church with him every Sunday. None of his church friends were going to this college, so he had no accountability anymore. And that realization, he would say years later, was the worst thing that ever happened to him. He decided that he had been good for so many years, practically his whole life, and because of that, he deserved to be bad for a little while. Don't you love that rationalization? We've all had it. We think of it like being on a diet. If you stick to your diet all week, then Saturday night you can have a slice of pie or a bowl of ice cream as a reward. That's right, we often see sin as a reward. I've been on this Christian spiritual diet for so many years and done so good that I've earned a few sins. I know it sounds ridiculous here, but when you come up with it on your own, it sounds completely rational, and you will do anything to convince yourself that it is. And that's what my friend did. He got into the party scene, he started drinking, having sex, doing drugs, in just a couple years' time. That saved soul went from a perfect Christian to a drunken meth addict with a child that was aborted by the mother, who was a girl he didn't even like. And he was majoring in theology. Even though the world and Hollywood almost celebrates this kind of reckless behavior nowadays, people still realize when they've screwed their lives up royally. No one wants to be a drunk. No one wants to be a druggie. No one wants to abort a child. No one wants to live a life ruled by an addiction, a bad habit, or the consequences of a poor decision. But so many people find themselves in these situations. Christians as a society expect the unsaved to be like this. They have no hope, no God, no grace, so they will try to fill the void in their life with something else, but are ultimately left feeling empty. However, by and large, Christians are ignoring the fact that this is happening within their own churches too. It's a universal problem. It's a human problem. When we get saved, we don't automatically know how to live life the right way. And even if we do, if we don't have other Christians keeping us accountable, we will still be tempted to do the things the wrong way. Human nature doesn't ever disappear. King David taught us that. So as you know, I'm involved with Celebrate Recovery, a faith-based 12-step program. 12-step programs don't get a lot of good press. I don't know what the world has against people who are trying to put the broken pieces of their lives back together, but there is always someone out there trying to discredit Alcoholics Anonymous, Celebrate Recovery, and what have you. The problem these programs have is that they can't keep an accurate count on success. There is no definitive number of people who are no longer addicted written down anywhere. And when you first read stuff like this in articles online or in a magazine, you're shocked! You start to doubt these kind of programs. I mean, how can they not know how many people get cured? Maybe nobody gets cured. What these people don't realize is that is not the point of 12-step programs. Of course, freedom from dependency is the goal, but it's not a race. There is no finish line. It's not 12 steps and you're done. 
You continue to do all 12 steps for the rest of your life. It becomes a part of you. The term 12 steps is almost a misnomer. People outside of CR hear 12 steps and they think it's like a Lego set. You buy a Lego set of a sports car, you open your instruction booklet, you follow each step, and soon you're done and your car is finished and that's the end of that. But in reality, these are less like steps and more like total life changes. Let me give you an example. I'm sure that you've seen a sitcom where there's a character working the 12 steps who's going around to people he's hurt to make amends. And it's presented like once he apologizes to everyone, then he's done. He doesn't have to make amends anymore. He can move on. But that's not really how it works. Sure, the first time you reach the step, you go to everyone you've wronged and make amends, unless to do so would harm them or others. But from that point on, making amends is supposed to become a part of your daily life. From that moment on, you're supposed to keep a daily inventory, and when you realize you have hurt someone that day, you make amends ASAP. Making amends becomes a part of your character. And more than that, 12-step programs are designed to be places of accountability. Relapse happens to almost everybody. But the difference is, when you are in a program like this, relapse is less likely to send you back into the depths of your addiction. Instead, because of the support you have, you are much more likely to get back up and keep walking down the road to recovery. What I'm trying to say in this huge roundabout way is that you, my friend, are not alone. But let's be clear. If you've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, nothing can erase that. Your guilt is trying to convince you that if you sin enough, you'll knock yourself out of the Lamb's Book of Life, and that's just not true. Look at all the heroes of the Bible that God used to do amazing things that still struggled with sin for years. Given that you specifically reference sexual sin in your question, let's look at King David. He conquered Goliath in God's name was set above as a king by God's hand, protected from death by God himself. He wrote psalms to God, and yet, after all of this, he still decided to have a harem of wives, and when lust got the better of him, he even slept with a married woman and orchestrated the death of her husband to cover up the fact that David got her pregnant. That's some seriously messed up stuff. And yet David is still remembered as a man after God's own heart. Just because we continue to struggle with sin after our salvation, it doesn't mean we're lost causes. It just means we've got some ugly in our lives that we can't seem to escape on our own. To celebrate recovery, one of the things that you have to do is admit that you're powerless. Think about that. Powerless, completely without power. We hate to admit that. We think that the glory of the human spirit should be able to prevail in the end, but that's the wrong spirit to hope in. In step three, we turn our lives and our wills over to Jesus, our higher power. Turning our lives over is the first step in the faith journey, but turning our wills over is a whole separate decision you have to make, and it's one you have to make each and every day. But let me encourage you with Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, we've all heard this one. It's one of the most beloved scriptures of all time. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's a great message of hope, but few people realize that God was speaking directly to his people who were deliberately disobeying and dishonoring him. 
his chosen people, those under his care and protection in the Old Testament, despite seeing directly the signs and wonders and even hearing God speak audibly on occasion, over and over again decided to worship false gods, to fall into sinful behavior and to dishonor the faith that they proclaimed. So God said he was going to let them live in those mistakes, that they would suffer the consequences of their actions. But God was only doing so that they would realize how much they needed him. God said, you will cry out for me and search for me and I will be found by you. For I know the plans I have for you. Just like in my own life, God had to let me hurt myself a little before I realized that I needed help. Maybe you're already at that realization. I hope it doesn't take something life-shattering to get you to move like it did me. So now that you know that there's nothing that can separate you from God, even your own sins, you need to stop wallowing in your guilt and start doing something about it. Of course, I recommend finding a Celebrate Recovery in your area. But if you're not ready for that, at least start to take the steps necessary to try to break these habits. Get an accountability partner and be honest with them. Put an end to unhealthy relationships. Get monitoring software on your phone and computer. Don't just sit there doing the same things over and over again and expect a different result to just show up one day. I hope that answered your question. All right, we're going to take a break right here. We're going to be back at the top of the next hour. Uh, next hour, we're going to be talking about the failure of the human spirit. The idea that you know, we should be able to pull the strength out from, from within us and overcome any situation. And then the reality that when faced with our toughest temptations and situations, we often fall flat. Where does our strength come from? We're going to talk about it right here on the Morning Side Hug. BackRowRadio.com. Welcome back to the Morning Side Hug here on Backrow Radio. I am Matt, and we're doing a special celebrating recovery episode today. Uh, as as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, we are retooling the celebrate recover celebrating recovery show that we've had here on BackrowRadio.com into making it a short devotional thing, which you've likely already heard a couple episodes of. Uh, but we don't want to lose all of our old content, so we are forming them into two special Celebrating Recovery specials here in the Morning Side Hug, today being the first one, the next one coming uh, next month sometime. Uh, but here in the third hour, we're going to be talking about the failure of the human spirit, and rather than babble on any more about it, let's just dive right in, shall we? family. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who has struggled with pornography and depression, 
but currently struggles with food addiction and codependency. My name is Matt. And today, I want to talk about powerlessness. It's hard to get to the point where we can admit that we're powerless. That is, completely incapable of beating an addiction or a hang-up or letting go of a hurt. Maybe we're willing to admit that we struggle, but to go as far as to say that we are completely incapable to do anything about it on our own, that's embarrassing. We've all seen those inspiring movies where the hero had it in him the whole time. He just needed to find that magic ingredient to set it free and win. But the magic is actually in realizing that you don't have it in you. You have God in you. And only he can bring you through this. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up a bit and talk about what it means to admit your powerlessness. Two weeks ago, we were talking about denial and how we need to step out of that. But stepping out of denial and admitting that we are powerless, though similar, are actually two separate actions. Last week, I answered a question from one of you, and I touched on powerlessness a little bit. But we're going to dive a bit deeper today. When we step out of denial we are admitting that we have a problem. When we admit that we are powerless, we are admitting that we don't know how to fix it, which, as we said, can be just as hard to admit or even convince yourself of. So what's it like to admit you're powerless? Well, sharing a bit again from my own story, for me, Admitting I was powerless was the realization that I had let everything spiral out of control and I had absolutely no direction on where I was to go next. As is a part of my story, I I dealt with a pornography addiction for, I want to say, close to 13 years of my life. And I thought that once I got married that problem would go away, and that was denial. And so it was after that, when things not only didn't go away, but got significantly worse, that I realized I have no control over this. I cannot stop myself. If I could, I would have by now. I wanted to fight that idea. I tried many times. I'd go get self-help books. I'd, I'd read different things online. I'd go through, you know, Reddit threads about, you know, stopping this kind of thing, stopping this behavior. And honestly, I, I found a few stories of people who seem to be able to, to get through this. I mean, that does happen. We all know somebody in our lives who smoked for years or drank for years and then one day just decided, okay, I'm done with that and put it down. And never touched it again. Uh, and there's a name for, for people who can do that. It's um, jerks. They're jerks. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's my jealousy coming through. Uh, it's, it's a part of a few people's story, a very small percentage of people's story who are able to just put down that, that issue, walk away from it, and never touch it again. 
And I can't tell you why, you know, God allows that for a few select people. And, and for the rest of us, it's a long, drawn-out, excruciating process. But it's likely because in the people that were able to just walk away from it, that wasn't a significant part of their story, of their life. Those habits likely weren't tied up and twisted and wrapped around something in their past like it is for most of us. See, what I didn't realize at the time was that my pornography use and, and also my overeating, those aren't the problem. Those are the weed. The root is something much deeper. And so when we look at it from that perspective, when we think, oh, this is just one bad habit, I can beat that, you're not looking at the whole picture. You're not just beating one bad habit. You're having to delve deep into your past, into your heart, even to some things that maybe you've blocked out from your childhood to discover what led you to this habit and what keeps you returning to it. Honestly, admitting we're powerless is a lot more for us than we may realize. First of all, it does take a big weight off of our shoulders because God is now taking the bulk of the load. And when you're a part of a group like Celebrate Recovery, you've also got a handful of others who will come alongside you and help you as well, keeping you encouraged and inspired. Remember Ecclesiastes 4.12, uh, and this is the New Living Translation. It says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. We are meant to find strength in numbers, be it a program like CR or an accountability group, a small group, a life group in your church. People who you're not afraid to share the real you with, warts and all. But more than that, we are meant to find strength in God. Matthew 19.26 says, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. God knew we were going to find ourselves in impossible situations. God knew that we would echo the words of Paul in Romans 7.18 and say, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. No one ever said your heart wasn't in it. You might be desperate for freedom from whatever is holding you back. And you might not have ever thought about giving up because it sounds counterintuitive. But if we give up trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, which is a physical impossibility, and instead ask God to pull us up, we will find that it is his strength that will bring us through the pain. We've been trying to do God's job this entire time. We need to focus on striving to be holy by handing our willpower over to God, putting tools in place to help us turn to God in times of temptation, and putting positive people in our lives that will help us walk this road to recovery, not hinder. So when we come to a place where we both step out of our denial and admit that we are powerless to change on our own, we actually see a lot of things in our lives begin to change. When we start to admit that we don't have everything under control, that we're powerless, 
we start to lose a lot of things. We start to lose our arrogance. That arrogance is often a mask, some bold face that we put on to, to let everybody else know that, no, we don't have a problem. Our life is together and I'm looking down on you because you have a problem. We, we worry so much. We have so much anxiety. That starts to go away too. We keep seeking uh, escapes and, and numbness and, and do anything we can to just block out the world around us. That starts to fade. We're holding on to all these, these, these pains, these hurts, these times that people have, have betrayed us in the past. This resentment that we cling on to, this grudge. We start to let those go. We feel less selfish, less lonely, less empty. We stop playing a game of three wishes. You remember that game? I still play that all the time. Basically, you pretend like you're Aladdin. You find a lamp and you have three wishes. What would you do? What would you wish for? What would you change? You know, when you play that game of, well, if only. So I wish I hadn't fallen into this temptation in the first place. Or I wish I hadn't got caught before I got better. Or, you know, you go back in time and say, if only I could change this one thing, things would be better now. You can't go back into the past. You have no power there either. <laughs> Only in your imagination. And living in that imagination isn't going to get you anywhere. But in admitting your powerlessness, it's like you get your wish now. This is the moment that 10 years from now, if you didn't do anything, you would have said, if only I'd have done something when I realized I needed to right now. Don't let that become a wish you have. Do something now. Answer that call now. Let that wish come true now. Admit you're powerless. Admit that only God can pull you out of this. There are so many things that steal our serenity when we try to do this on our own. Stop fighting this fight without weapons or backup. God is the only one who can equip you for this battle. And this might be the biggest fight of your life. Now, as I said, this, this program is not officially affiliated with Celebrate Recovery. But I do fully endorse it as a wonderful faith-based program for every single habit, hang-up, or hurt out there. And it is the perfect place to learn to surrender to God and accept his will for your life. Remember, Jesus said in John 10.10, My purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Only he can restore your life. If you could have done it on your own, you would have done it by now. Alright, and 
that's going to do it for the special. We'll be back here at the top of the hour to close out the show, so stick around. We also got amazing music here on BackRowRadio.com, so why would you leave? Stick around all day. You know you want to. See you in a bit. Thank you for joining us this morning for this special Celebrating Recovery episode. We will have another one of these next month, and that will round out all of our old episodes of Celebrating Recovery and preserve them here on the Morning Side Hug and our podcast feed. Now, if you are finding yourself in a situation where you are struggling with an addiction or a hurt or a habit or any kind of hang-up that is hindering your walk with Christ and keeping you from growing into the man or woman that God desires you to be, then we encourage you to seek out a Celebrate Recovery in your area. They are all over the world. They are a, a massively growing program uh, for, for believers who are struggling with anything. Uh, not just drugs and alcohol, but you know, food addiction, porn addiction, uh, overspending, anger, mental health issues, all of these. It's a fantastic resource. And I know that right now during the coronavirus process here, not all of them are meeting in person, and that's okay. But you can seek them out on Facebook, and you can get acquainted with these people and the leaders and just see what the program is all about. Find some, some initial encouragement and community. And if you want to seek one out in your area, go to backrowradio.com CR, and you'll find a group locator right there where you can get in touch with them. There is a Back Row Morning Show every weekday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Mo and I bring you the morning side hug most of the week, and Bubba and Anna bring you church nerds every Friday. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Back Row Radio, and join our laughter-inducing Facebook community, Back Row Baptist Church, by going to backrowbaptist.com. If you miss a morning show, you can subscribe to the, subscribe to the podcast version of the Morning Side Hug on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most podcast apps, and catch up on our new Monday through Wednesday shows. The podcast of our throwback Thursday episodes are reserved for our Patreon donors as well as other bonus content and incentives. If you are listening to Back Row Radio and want to support the work that we do, please consider partnering with us by going to backrowradio.com slash partner. Any size donation will get you our private podcast feed. That's it for the show. We'll be back tomorrow, including Mo, not just me, Mo and I, back with a normal show. And we hope you will too. Once again, I'm Matt. Remember that Jesus loves you. Celebrate Recovery is a great resource. And if you see us around, we'd love a side hug. Bye. <laughs>